Um, Tonight we're going to be starting our summer series in the book of Psalms. We're dotting around the first section of the book and tonight we're going to be looking at Psalm 19. This is quite a well-known psalm but if I'm honest I hadn't looked at it much before this week. Um, My hope this evening is that with this sermon, as with every sermon, we have a deeper appreciation and understanding for who God is and what he has given us in his word, the Bible. So let, let me read Psalm 19. To the choir master, a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from it. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and altogether, and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, in keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's just pray before we jump into the psalm. Lord, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would give me wisdom as I speak, that we'd have ears to listen to what you have to say to us, and that we'd have a better understanding of who you are, of what creation sings, and what your word does for us. And we pray this in your holy name. Amen. I wonder, do you ever come across the question, why doesn't God just reveal himself? Why doesn't he just show himself for who he is. As a Christian, it would be far easier to witness, to tell people about Jesus and about God if he just showed himself to us personally. Or on Arthur's seat, that way. Arthur's seat, there's a big sign that just said God. Or on a mountainside, we just had the face of God chiseled on it. Then we could answer the age-old question of God's existence. It would be so much easier I'm sure we've all come across the thought at least once, or maybe you have it all the time, that if God is real, why doesn't he make it more obvious? Why doesn't he just reveal himself? That's the question this psalm tackles tonight. To the psalmist, in fact, he's exclaiming all the ways that God has revealed himself. He pens down the ways in which God has revealed himself and what it means for him. So let's dig in to this psalm. Let's look at verses 1 to 6, and as we do that, just have that question lodged in your mind. 
Why doesn't God just reveal himself? I'll read verses 1 to 6 again. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor other words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. So what David's doing is he's talking about the skies. That the skies are like God's canvas in his studio that he's just thrown together. And that the reason we don't wake up to God's booming voice over some heavenly tannoy system is that the skies do that already. Day to day they pour out speech and they reveal knowledge of this God. It's plain for everyone to see. The sky is fascinating. You can stare at it for hours. I find myself doing that often. And it's all pointing to one thing. It's all pointing to God and its creation speaking of this God. And then he goes on to talk about the sun, that God runs its course, that God has tamed the sun and he's put it in a tent. This life-giving source for our planet, the thing that if we didn't have, we wouldn't have any heat, we wouldn't have any days, and the earth would probably just be a big ball of ice. There's this brilliant quote by G.K. Chester, and he puts it like this. He says, God says to the sun, go on, get up. That the sun only got up this morning because God told it to get up this morning. That God tracks its position across the sky each and every day. That all this proclaims God's goodness to us, that our whole ecosystem works by God and for God's glory. What I've come to realize is how incredible our country is. This is all thanks to an Instagram page called Visit Scotland. If you're an Instagram age, get following. If you're not, you've probably already seen these sites because you're not glued to your phone like the rest of us. But for me, the place where the skies are most beautiful is, of course, back home on the lovely Isle of Lewis. From my back window, we have this big, long croft, and it runs right down to the sea, and it's amazing. I miss it sometimes. It's, um, unfortunately, you can't see the beach, but you can see the sea, and it's just miles and miles of Atlantic Ocean. And sometimes there's a boat or two on the horizon. It's just, it's just splendid. The most spectacular moments, though, is when the sun is setting in the summer. And you have this blue, dark blue sea, and then you have this mesmerizing pink sky. It's unbelievable. They have this orangey-yellow glow and this blood-red merging together with some pink clouds hovering above the sea, and it's absolutely stunning. We've all seen a beautiful sunset or the night sky. Even last night, I was standing looking at Arthur's seat and the castle, and I was just like, wow. And one, I had the sun here, and I had the moon behind me. I was like, wow, this is great. I feel like I was in Star Wars with both of them. But anyway, we have this beautiful sky and you can't not see God's beauty behind it. You can't not see God's beauty in it. What the psalmist is saying is not, why doesn't God reveal himself? But look how he has. Look how the skies speak of him. That in creation, we are seeing something of the creator. Just a snippet or a glimpse of his glory. 
that God, creator and maker of all things, doesn't lower himself to us daily to show himself because the skies do that for him already. If you're unsure about what I'm saying or you struggle with the idea of there being a God, sorry, or struggle listening to what this God has to say, that's okay, you're, we're very glad you're here tonight, we're not going to kick you out, that's okay. But I've got to ask, what's the point in all these beautiful things in creation? Forget all the notions you had of God before you came in tonight, or the reasons that you can't believe in the God of the Bible. But let me ask, when you look at the world around you, the sky, the countryside, the sunrise, the sunset, the Monroes, the lush green fields, how did it all happen? How did we get beautiful skies or rolling countryside? Is it really easier to believe that it all happened by chance a couple of million years ago? That we got, just got lucky to have this spectacular, fully functioning planet that we live on? Is it really easier to believe it's just a fluke or to believe that there's a God behind it? And if you still can't fathom a God and you do believe it happened by chance, then I'll ask a deeper question. What's the point in it all? What's the point of this beautiful scenery? Or if there is no point, then did we just get so lucky that the world formed into a fully functioning world and environment and then got even luckier that it is so magnificent to look at. Again, back to the psalm. Had the psalmist finished here, what we would have is a God who's distant and far off. We would know that this God is great and big and powerful. We would know that he was a creator God and really good at what he does. He makes beautiful things, but we're not really sure what to make of him or even how to interact with him. He seems far off, but thankfully he doesn't leave it at that. See, the skies speak of him, and now we're going to see that he has spoken himself. The whole purpose of creation is like this herald for God. The thing to get you excited about what he has to say himself. Just notice the change of direction it seems to take. When I first read it, I thought that David maybe just took a wee break and then came back and started writing something else and forgot what he'd written before. But that's not the case. He goes from creation speaking about God to God speaking about himself. The God who speaks through his word. Look at verses 7 to 9. This is Jewish poetry describing scripture, describing the word of God. I'll read it again. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. When David writes these verses, he's not talking about all these different entities, his testimony and his laws and his rules. He's talking about one thing. All of them are overlapping, and he's talking about Scripture. He's talking about the Bible. 
This was slightly confusing for me at first when I was trying to figure it out because when David wrote this, he had five books of the Bible that we now have. But what it is is that we have the same word of God that David had, but just extended. A greater revelation, more of the same salvation story just unraveled. And what's amazing is that God's word doesn't just expand from five books to 66, a kind of bumper pack edition of what David had. We have the living word of God in Jesus. We have more revelation through Jesus so that everything that David uses to describe the word of God, the scriptures that he had in front of him, is 100% true, absolutely true of our Bible and absolutely true of Jesus. Before I dig in, let me show you two things. First, notice the simple, simple structure of the statements about God's word. I had to double check this with the most English man that I know, Sam, one of our church leaders in training. But the structure is quite easy to follow. It starts with a noun, an adjective, and then a verb. It's not really important, but it's just helpful to notice as you're scanning through it. And the second thing is that notice is not just the flow that changes. In the first part, in verse 1, he calls God, God. The heavens declare the glory of God. But in verses 7 to 9, six times, he calls God, Lord. Capital L-O-R-D. This is the Hebrew word, Yahweh. That God, the name that God gave his people to call him in Exodus. When he said he would be their God and they would be his people. There's a sort of possession language in it. That God in his word revealed himself to his people. From the distant far off God, we now see a God who has come into relationship with his people through his word. So let's look at how David describes the spoken word of God. Look at the language David uses to describe the scriptures. David says that the law of the Lord is perfect. That all that God has said is perfect. Nothing can be added to it and nothing can be taken away from it. That the word of, the, of God, his testimony, is sure. It never leads us astray and it never misguides us. That the precepts of the Lord are right. The way he addresses us is with authority. It's morally right and is fair. The commandments of the Lord are pure. The way he has told us to live is pure, it is untainted, and it is undefiled. What it should cause us to have, number five, is a right fear of the Lord. This one seems strange. The fear of the Lord is clean. It's a bizarre word to use to describe God or a fear of God, but I think it actually puts the fear of the Lord in the right light, in the right perspective. As in the positive sense, as opposed to the scary headmaster fear. One of the commentaries describes it really well, and it says, it's clean in the sense of silver being refined by fire. If you just picture it, you put it in, and it comes out, and it's smooth, it is shiny, it is dirt-free. That is what true fear of the Lord is. All these words describe this perfect, dirt-free, pure, just God and how his word should affect us. It's just this rich poetry and it wraps it all up saying it is righteous altogether. In the sense that it is dependable. From start to finish, it is always singing off the same hymn sheet. 
from David's five books to the 66 books we have today. All together, it has one message, one source, and it is all proclaiming the same thing. So the question from this is, do we believe that? Not just in our head, but in our heart. Do we really believe that? Do we believe that the Bible that we have in our hands is perfect? That when something grinds against us, it's not the Bible that has to change, it's us. Do we believe that it is sure that the promises that God has are to be trusted wholeheartedly with our lives? For example, that in the darkest times of our lives, do we believe that God is still in control? That at the bleakest times, whether that is a time you can look back on or if that is right now, do you believe that God is sovereign, in control, and orchestrating all things for the good of those who love him? He promises it, but do we really believe it? Not just in our head, but in our heart. And what is just brilliant for us in this psalm is that David doesn't just talk about the scripture and its character, but he talks about what it does for us. That like the sun for the world that brings life and warmth and revives our planet, that simply through reading the Bible, our soul is revived. That this book makes us wise, makes us simple wise. It shows us our need for God and our desperate need for a saviour. It rejoices our heart and it gives us real sense of joy because we are known and able to know our God and creator. And it enlightens our eyes that we see the world around us for what it is, that it's as if we're in this dark room and a candle has just been lit, showing us the world around us, showing us ourselves, showing us what we need So we really have to love our Bibles because it tells us about God and his salvation plan for us. Let me ask, where do we we go when we feel run down? When work is not going great? When life just feels a bit mundane? Where do we turn? Where do we look? To our friends? To our spouse? To ourselves? We've got to turn to the Bible that revives our soul, that rejoices our heart, not as some magic book, but to learn about this loving God. I could hammer home at this point all night, so I'll try not to. But do you feel like you're not walking closely with God? Do you feel like you're not as close as you once were? Or do you want to remember the joy that you once had? Well, the obvious question is, do you spend time in your Bible? Real time, and not just time running down a timer. But do you study it and learn it and have it change and shape you? Learning of this awesome maker of all things. You want to know more of God? Read your Bible. You want to feel closer to him? Spend time with him in his word. God has made himself known to us. And it's not an abstract thing. Abstract thing. Abstract. Abstract thing. He can be known through these pages. 
through the Bible in your hand right now. Isn't that amazing? Just look at what the words mean to David. Look at verses 10 and 11. More to be desired desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, in keeping them there is great reward. This is to be what we love. This Bible is to be more important to us than gold, and it is sweeter than honey. For us, it's to be more desired than money, more important than anything else. What he's saying is this knowledge, this knowing of God through his word, is to be more important than all things. That if someone came up and asked you, if I give you one million pounds, would you never read your Bible again? Would you take it? Would you give up everything to be able to have a Bible? To be able to have the word of God and to be able to know this God. This is what it should mean to us. It means we want to spend time daily learning about this God. That is more important than spending an extra 10 or 15 minutes at work, on a project with a client, or even getting in to study earlier. We should want to spend more time with this God because this Bible is what gives us life. This Bible is what rejoices our heart, not our work and not our money. And why? It's because it's, because it's sweeter than honey. For the first time this week, my supposedly Glaswegian flatmate, who shops at Waitrose, made me taste Manuka honey. If you've never heard of it, you've probably not been in Morningside long enough. But let me tell you, it tasted unbelievable. It was so rich, it was so tasty. And this Bible is sweet like honey from the source. It is the sweet nectar that we are to eat up daily. To, as it were, have our soul drool over. And want more of and just to be obsessed with. Is this the case? Do we really appreciate the God who revealed himself in his word? Do we really appreciate the power of his word? It's actually quite a simple question, but it is a really penetrating one. Do we love our Bibles? Do we prioritize the time that we spend in it? Preparing a sermon, this really affected me because this isn't always the case. I'd happily watch another episode of something or spend time with someone or do an extra bit of work at night to go to sleep too tired to read my Bible. But it's not about feeling guilty of the time that we've not spent in our Bible. It's that we need to remember where our joy comes from, what revives our downbeaten soul, and what opened our eyes. And it's knowing this incredible, loving God, this Savior through His Word, that should be our motivation for reading our Bible, not guilt. So if you are feeling that God is distant, He's not. His word is right in your hands right now. A word that rejoices and revives you. If this is you, don't just sit there and feel guilty. Do something about it. Start a reading plan. Talk to someone about it. 
set your alarm 20 minutes earlier or set the, turn the TV off 20 minutes earlier. Give real time to learn about this incredible Savior and incredible God. And the final point tonight is David speaking to God. David's speech is response to it. Look at verses 12 to 14. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your, your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is David's response. That after talking of how creation sings of God, about God speaking through his word, he just analyzes his own situation. Who can question this God? Who is able to stand up against him? That David's only response is to ask for forgiveness. He asks for forgiveness from his hidden sins and the sins he deliberately does. From the sins he knows he does and the things that he doesn't even realize he's doing against God. I equate this one to when you're living with people, with a family, a wife, a husband, or a flatmate. You know yourself, you're not perfect, and you probably have a couple of annoying habits. But if you're to ask your flatmate, they will be able to list off list after list after list of things that you do that are annoying, because you don't always see them. The things that you don't even know you do or even knew were annoying. Apparently in my flat, I'm called Puddles because I don't dry myself very well after a shower. <laughs> this is what David is talking about. He knows himself that he sins against God, but he knows himself that there are things that he doesn't even realize he does. And so he asks for forgiveness from even these things. Because he has seen God's pure holiness and he knows he's not. That he sees that God is holy and therefore he wants to be holy. That it is so attractive that that is what he wants. And all he can do is ask that God would declare him blameless and innocent. David asked all these things without the rest of scripture. He just had the first five books. He had no knowledge of Jesus. He prayed all these things just hoping that God would do it. So today we are in such a better place because we know where our innocence comes from. Where our holiness comes from. And it's not from our good, good living, it's from Jesus. Because of what he has done, we can be blameless and innocent before God, because of what he has done, because he redeemed us on a cross 2,000 years ago. He made us right with God. This Jesus was perfect, he was sure, he was right, he was pure, he was clean, and he was true. And he took death on a cross. He took undeserved death on a cross so that we could stand before God innocent so that we could be blameless, so that we could be in relationship with this awesome God that creation sings of, this God who made himself known in his word. This is the good news of the gospel. 
The more we read of this God in our Bibles, the more we realize we need him. That when we become a Christian, we realize we are sinners. And contrary to popular belief, we do not see ourselves as better people. But in light of learning more of this God, we only see how far we've actually fallen from God's perfect standard. The more we see and know of Jesus, the more we cling to him. The more we know what he did, the more we cling to him. The one who made us innocent, able to stand before a holy, holy God, able to commune with this creator. This Jesus is to be more desired than gold. We are to give up everything for him. And this Jesus is sweeter than the finest honey. This Jesus is our hope and our joy. And as we leave, our prayer should be that what we say and what we think, what we meditate on, would be acceptable to this God, the God who, at the end it says, is our rock and our redeemer. The question I started with was, why doesn't God reveal himself? Well, he has. He has in creation, and it sings of him every single day. And he has in this Bible, and he has in his son, Jesus. He not only revealed himself, he not only revealed himself, he's done so much more. Look at the last line. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Lord, Yahweh, God of his people. The rock, their foundation, and their, his, their redeemer, their salvation. Their foundation and their salvation. He is a personal God who sustains and saves his people. This is the God who sent his son for us. So let us sing with creation his praises. Let us worship him more. Let us learn more about him in his word. That he is our foundation and our salvation. Let's pray to this God. Oh Lord God, just as we read of you in your word, we pray, Lord, that we would say the words that David says here in the Psalms, that we would repent from our hidden faults and presumptuous sins, that they would not have dominion over us, that through Jesus and Jesus alone we can be blameless and innocent before you. We pray, pray, Lord, that we would remember that you are God, Yahweh, who redeemed us and who is our rock, that you have not only revealed yourself, Lord, but you have redeemed us. Lord, let us rejoice in this and let us want to know more of you and your word. Let us know what it is that you have given us Let it not be something that is boring or something that we feel is a task, but help us to remember how rich it is that it rejoices our soul, that revives our soul and rejoices our heart. And Lord, we just thank you for that. We pray, Lord, this in your name. Amen.